0: Be ruthless with systems. Be kind to people. Our quote today comes from the late Michael Brooks, who he lost last year on yesterday, made the one year anniversary uh, from 1983 to 2020. Uh, and let's get into our episode.
1: intelligence here. the end of, of sarcasm, the naughty professor, to your
2: wack-ass It's T-Bone from T-Bone and Chick-Brew in the morning, now available in podcast format. Simply search for the T-Bone and Chick-Brew podcast, available wherever, find podcast or so.
0: We talk about a lot of serious topics on this show. One serious topic is women's health. One company that stood out to me was Vslay.com because the owner is very transparent about her own struggles in the women's health department and she has very great customer service and frequent sales. Check her out, her amazing customer service at www.vslay.com. That is www.vslay.com. The Darrell McLean Show is fully listener-supported, independent media that won't lead you to tribalism. You can get a membership for as little as $3 a month at www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show. So, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the death of Michael Jamal Brooks. He was born August 13, 1983 and he passed away July 20th of 2020. He was an American talk show host, a writer, political commentator, and a comedian. While co-hosting The Majority Report with Sam Cedar, he launched The Michael Brooks Show in August of 2017 and provided commentary for the media outlets making regular appearances on shows such as The Young Turks. Uh, Brooks contributed to various publications, including The Huffington Post, The Washington Post, Al Jazeera, Open Democracy, and Jacobin. His book, Against the Web, A Cosmopolitan Answer to the New Right, was published by Zero Books in April of 2020. Uh, Michael Brooks was a self-identified progressive, uh, internationalist, democratic socialist, and Marxist humanist. His um, death was unexpectedly on July 20th, 2020, Brooks died unexpectedly at the age of 36. A press statement said that the cause of death was a sudden medical condition. On the majority report, uh, Brooks' uh, sister uh, reported that the cause of death was a blood clot. It was later discovered that Brooks died from saddle and Upon further medical examination, it was discovered that he had two separate genetic factors for increased uh, clotting. The statement indicated that the foundation dedicated to his work would be forthcoming. Tributes were paid to Brooks by his majority report and Michael Brooks, show colleague, as well as a range of political commentators from other platforms. Former President of Brazil, Lula da Silva, a personal hero Brooks, expressed his condolences writing on Twitter, My heart and prayers go out to his family and friends. May his passion for social justice be remembered and inspire people around him and around the world. Jane Sanders, the wife of Senator Bernie Sanders, wrote that Brooks work on behalf of justice and humanity and peace. And his compassion and intelligence was impressive. It will live on through the many he inspired. Uh, Dr. Cornell West said of Brooks, he's got a soulfulness about him, and that soulfulness is not just the sharing of a soothing sweetness against the backdrop of a, sensitif- a sensitivity of catastrophe, but it's also Socratic. It's deeply self-critical. He's willing to muster the courage to scrutinize himself. That's where his sense of comic comes from, that he doesn't take himself so seriously that he can't also open himself up in ways in which he has been shaped by some of the very things he is critical of. Marion Willis uh, Wilson, uh, wrote, We lost a really li- a real light today. Gratitude for what he gave us all and blessings on his journey forward. Uh, Brooks' replacement on the majority report was Ibba Vigeland, formerly of the Young Turks, in November 2020. After Brooks' death, the Michael Brooks show continued, airing over 20 episodes with the producers Matt Leach and David Grissom and Michael's sister uh, Leisha Brooks. On November 24, 2020, the team announced that a weekly show would end. The final month of the show would be a series of panels and roundtable discussions in the honor of Brooks and his work with intellectual scholars, guests, and friends. So, Michael Brooks began his career in comedy and meditation, founding the Valley Arts Project and coaching seminars at Satay Solutions. In 2011, he co-authored a meditation guide, uh, The Buddha's Playbook with Josh Summers. His early journalism and hosting work include his contributions to Civic avic, uh, Actions, Talking Points Memo, and The David Pakman Show. On returning to New York City in 2012, Brooks met Sam Cedar as Sam Cedar was immediately struck by his intelligence and his sense of humor and decided to hire him despite his obnoxious warning that he's not great with details. Uh, That year, Brooks began working for the majority report with Sam Cedar. Along with many other colleagues, Brooks criticized MSNBC for firing Cedar over a tweet that he made in 2019. Brooks hosted uh, Intersection from Aslan Media and was an analyst for an American Iranian Council. Brooke was known for his mixture of political analysis with comedy. Uh, As said, uh, Bakshir Shakura uh, said that Michael wasn't afraid of controversy. He was happy to give an outlet to guests who criticized the left's less productive uh, PDs, but he wasn't a shock jock either. Michael could get away with controversies because of how mixed his comedy was with earnestness. Cedar said, I have worked with a lot of great broadcasters, hosts, and some of the most talented comedians in the country. And what was unique about Michael was not just his intelligence and his insight into politics, particularly foreign politics, but his ability to do genuinely brilliant political comedy. Uh, Brooks began co-hosting Two Dope Boys, a podcast in 2016, and announced in 2017 that he was starting The Michael Brooks Show, the podcast which was broadcasted live on tours from a variety of venues around the United States and reached 131,000 subscribers and included interviews with Noam Chomsky, Cornel Rest, Adolf Reed, Selizak Zizek. In 2019, books argued that Turkey's response to the uh, Syrian civil war under the recap Tariq Erdogan uh, was partly an effort to erase Kurdish culture in northern Syria. Having first heard of Brazil's uh, president, Lula da Silva, in 2003, books began reading Brazil Wire every day during the Operation Car Wash and the Lula Live Wire movement in order to deliver updates to viewers. In January 2020, he traveled to uh, Sao Paulo Paulo, to interview Lula alongside uh, Brazil Wire editors Daniel Hunt and Brian Meir. Brooks also wrote the forward to the 2018 book Year of Lead, Washington, Wall Street, and the New Imperialism in Brazil, also by Hunt and Mir, which documents the rise of Jair Bolsonaro uh, in Brazil. From April 2020 until his death, Brooks co-hosted called Weekends uh, with Anna Kasparian and Michael Brooks, a collaboration with Jacobin. At the time of his death, Jacobin was planning to launch a second weekday uh, webcast, The Jacobin Show, with uh, Michael Brooks as the host. Uh, Brooks contributed uh, to several publications, including The Washington Post, Huffington Post, Al Jazeera, In These Times, Good Worldwide, Al Monitor, Open Democracy, Jacobin, and Jaladin. He appeared on various networks and shows around the world, such as The Young Turks, Huffington Post Live, Al Jazeera Eager's, Uh, France 24, the media, CCTV rising and hear the burn, the Bernie Sanders, 2020 presidential campaigns podcast. So I um, consume a lot of podcasts on a daily basis. It's kind of one of the things that I really love to do. I'm not just saying this because uh, Michael Brooks is no longer with us, but in my uh, professional opinion, he was one of the best, if not the best, to ever have a microphone to his mouth. And his compassion, his love, his booming laughter, his wit, and his, his, his reach of well-ranging topics will be missed and it cannot be replaced. And um, I, as the world seems to get crazier and crazier by the day, I find myself wondering what Michael Brooks would say about the situations that we see on a daily basis. And I miss his voice. I miss uh, his laugh. And I am just truly grateful that he got to write his book before he passed away. And um, I will always remember him and will always have a deep admiration and love for him. And my heart uh, rested priest to uh, Michael Brooks. In that same vein, uh, Anna Kasparian uh, of the Young Turks, and she writes for Jacobin magazine as well, uh, as previously said, was a co-host with Michael Brooks on Jacobin. Uh, the Young Turks did a really good tribute to Michael Brooks, and I would uh, be remiss. I feel like I would be Um unsincere if I did not just play it in its entirety before I get into the news. So here's Anna Kasparian and, um, on a tribute that the young church did to the late Michael Brooks. Uh,
3: The one year anniversary of honestly, like the most shocking death that I've ever experienced. And that was, you know, Michael Brooks dying, um, unexpectedly of, um, you know, he had a, a blood clot, which is terrifying because this could happen to anyone really. Uh, mm-hmm. this is something that's sudden and doesn't have any you know, symptoms ahead of time. And, uh, I remember a year ago Nando calling me after I had finished TYT's production meeting in the morning and he told me and I couldn't even, I didn't stay on the phone. Like he told me and I just, I had to go immediately and like lost it. Um, I can't um, believe he's gone. Even even now, it's hard to process it. So we'll start with some substance. There's some funny stuff in here, too. But the first video um, I, I also shared on Weekends, which is the show I host with Nando on Jacobin. Um, and it has to do with uh, Michael Brooks's thoughts on U.S. imperialism. Let's watch.
4: There's a countervailing tendency where, you know, if somebody's opposed to U.S. interests, we have to sanitize them. We can't have an intellectually rigorous conversation. I think that doesn't work because I actually mainly even just frankly for, if you wanted to look at it in terms of propaganda purposes, I don't think that kind of bullying about everything works. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would actually
5: make a really hard and fast distinction, frankly, between um, the
4: enormous complexity of something like China, which we just need to learn how to be adults about, um, which is going to push back against uh, the new cold war, fear mongering war mongering attempt also combine the fact that that push against China is delusional. I mean, how are you going to, how much are you really going to bully a rising power where your entire supply chain relies on them? Yeah. Uh, and that it is very important to understand how China looks the world, how they conduct their foreign policy. And then at the same time, I think it's ridiculous and foolhardy to make excuses. Um, of where China, you know, abuses rights or whatever else. I just again I just think it's silly. And also you have to look at the entirety of Asia. In the Middle East, um, you know, there's big variance here in terms of Iran, Syria, wherever else, but uh and again, abuses committed by these various governments and leaders like Assad, but the main story is pushing away US interventionism, US imperialism, which is extraordinarily aggressive in the Middle East
3: that nuance seems to be lost on most individuals who uh, who purport to be on the left and weigh in on foreign policy, international relations, anything having to do with American imperialism. Because, Mm -hmm. yes, it's true that American imperialism has been destructive, it's been awful, and we should fight against it. But to do that while simultaneously minimizing the... Crimes committed by dictatorial regimes is not anything I'm interested in. Because guess what? I come from a people who have dealt with genocide. And thanks to the disinformation peddlers of the early 1900s, um, the international community for a long time denied that they were victims of genocide. So for me to sit here and whitewash the war crimes of other dictators I think it's ridiculous and I'm not going to do it I'm not going to engage in it the reason why I loved Michael is because he was able to hold these thoughts together right without uh you know being accused of being pro anti uh, pro american imperialism like he was just able to kind of like distill every situation in a way that was easy to understand, easy to digest, and was just accurate. It was accurate. Yeah.
6: yeah, I mean, I think in terms of that, like that clip right there, it is really interesting. And I, I can't, Was he was saying that like there are these crimes that are being committed by like the Chinese government that shouldn't go unnoticed by the left. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that's sort of what he was saying. And I think that's really right on. And for someone like him, who was so, who was actually focused on internationalism, I mean, I think that American exceptionalism does happen on the left, too, where we ascribe like superhuman powers to the American empire or the Democratic Party. And you peel back the curtain and you're like, oh, they're just a bunch of idiots just doing idiot stuff. You know, like not everything goes back to this country. There is internationalism. There are people on the ground in China in Syria, in Brazil, you know, like, and and we need to be smarter than what our governments do, which is equate Chinese people with their government, equate Iranian people with their government and go after them, equate Cuban people with their government and go after them with sanctions and war. And we need to be stronger and smarter than that and say, look, no, it's about solidarity. And man, Michael knew that, Yeah, you know, Michael was, was, was into that. But like, we, we, I feel like the left, you know, we had it in the sixties, there's sort of a resurgence in the eighties and central American solidarity, but like, we've definitely lost the international solidarity piece of how do we support workers and environmental activists and women's rights, not from a, a place of imperialism, not through our government, but like through social movements, through the internet, through, you know, through who
3: we interview and such. Exactly. Exactly. And Yeah, he was very clear on Syria as well. Very clear on it. Um, So I want to go to this next video.
4: They're just so (laughs) triumphant. They're like, all the Republican emails I got were like, we did it. We go over this a lot. Uh, Some people find it necessary. They can't just say make all of the true statements, which is that U.S. intervention in the beginning and generally besides preserving some protection with the Kurds is a very bad idea that we supported through the Gulf states all these jihadist groups and and horrible actors. That's all true. And Assad's a butcher who's Vastly disproportionately sort of culpable for most of the violence there. Like, this is all correct. And some people seem to feel that you need to have like some counter narrative fantasy about him in order to be anti interventionist, which I just don't agree with. But I think the other, uh, the other really important thing coming out of this though is that even if you look at somebody like Patrick Coburn, who I, you know, I might not always see this. He probably looks at it a little bit more from the kind of Assad lens that I do, but he's there and he's an incredibly good reporter. And, you know, he's basically saying, like, and I don't know if this is possible, but, like, yeah, Assad's going to say, but he needs to release political prisoners and they need to stop engaging in violence and the Kurds need to have some protection. Like, there and the refugees, much more needs to be done for refugees. There's actually, in terms of substance, I think what's funny is I think there is actually a left position. It's just that everybody's fighting on all these relative margins oh, and conspiracy like, it's become, it's theories become, versus, like, it's become a stand-in and a be- proxy for other
3: arguments. Yeah, it's- Simple. Simple, clear, nuanced. And there's a reason why certain people uh, wouldn't attack him, you know, for saying what he said in that video. And Which, by the uh-huh. way, he had similar comments in several videos on Syria. Uh, but... I do find it fascinating that like no one dared to treat him the way that I've been treated uh, lately as a result of basically saying the same thing about Assad, right? Like it's anyway, but that's whatever beside the point. What I loved about him was just his honesty and how right he was, right? Like he, he was well read. He was intellectually curious, but more importantly, like he had a guiding principle that informed all of his commentary, and that's why he's consistent throughout all of his content, because he, there was never any you know, pandering to what's popular at the moment. There was never any BS like that. He was just very clear in, in, in his beliefs, in what needed to get done. He cared about strategy. More importantly, he cared about winning, And that's why Mm. he did call out people like Jimmy Dore in his content, because he saw them as an obstacle to winning. And to be sure we're experiencing those obstacles right now. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. Counter counter
6: narrative fantasy, that line, that phrase of like being so far left that you wrap yourself in a counter, uh, like a counter narrative fantasy. I love that. Like that. Yeah, you excuse everything. And we see that, right? Like that you put, people put ideology before fact. And honestly, it's something I appreciate about you, Anna, because you, God, you dive through and read so much news every day. And if there's a, a twist in the story, you're going to name it. If there's, a, if, if the SOT continues and people need to know the context, you're not going to Tucker Carlson it. You're going to name the, even if it doesn't support your ideology, mm-hmm. because actually it brings up more questions and that's a great conversation. And then people get convinced and then people learn like it behooves progressives to be curious, to ask those questions and to be able to say two things at once. Walk and chew gum,
3: baby. Like we forgot that. God, we forgot how to do that. I know. I know. It's so depressing. Um, and I'm going to go to the final video because we're running out of time. Uh, but, you know. A lot of people and Ben Burgess was talking about this during his tribute to Michael, and it was his tribute was wonderful. Everyone go check out, give them an argument. Um, I, I love the videos that he chose to share featuring Michael. And I also love the, you know, tribute that he gave personally. And he talked about how, you know, after Michael's death, a lot of people are like making it almost seem like he was this perfect, unflawed person who never like did anything wrong and never like mm-hmm. he's, he was human. Like he was flawed in other ways. Right. And I don't. I don't want to get into his flaws, but one thing that like has been standing out to me is people seem to think that like he was always above any drama or dunking on people. One of the things I loved doing on his show was dunking on Dave Rubin. We did a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but he he also again like he would he would be measured and he'd be careful in how he would go after it, people who identified as part of the left. Um, But when he would do it, there was always a purpose for it, right? And he did do this quite a bit with Jimmy Dore. And I think that this mashup video, this is part of like a a longer 11 minute long video, which you guys can all watch on YouTube if you want. Um, But someone did a mashup of his response to a caller about Jimmy Dore. And I think that what he says here is exactly what I wish I did a better job in communicating, um, but what I think he did a great job in communicating. So let's watch.
4: the beef with Jimmy Dorn I'm not trying to create Hillary Combs director tweeted something or something and you're vote shaming that's a big phrase they like well that's exactly what you're doing look the, the beef with Jimmy Dorn I'm not trying to create Broad reactive populism. I'm trying to create a left path to saving democracy and generating some type of what we call socialism, which means different things to different people. But that's an actual thing. And a major part of that thing is building alliances. Across lines that include not unnecessarily alienating people who, as an example, might support Andrew Gillum. And I know we have a reputation as being the most smug and arrogant show on YouTube, which is awesome and hilarious. to me. And I'm definitely funnier. But the endless whataboutism, the endless false equivalencies, the endless moralism and the endless just focus on electoralism is is both. Bulk- And it's substantively wrong. It's miseducating people about how to think about politics. They have nothing to do with how much you curse, how much you hate, you know, Neera Tandon or Hillary Clinton. Nothing to do with whether or not you want to be wonky or not. I think Jimmy is a funny, entertaining, and interpersonally, in my experience, nice guy. But for all of the substantive reasons, those are problems in how you're doing politics. And it also includes recognizing that in today's world, the primary threat is the fascists running it, not something that John Edwards said in 2009 that you can make a clip about to do a false equivalency. That's bull—it's wrong. And
5: then you have to admit that he's a Fox
4: News on the left. No, has, I don't. No, more. he's not. Fox News helps win. Fox News has a strategy. Fox News is. Has- relentless. Do you think Fox News would do over 70% of their clip on how he's not a real conservative and he's a sellout? He's not Fox News on the left at all. If you mean stylistically, maybe so. And I keep telling you that's the part I I like and have no problem with. I will match my support for Bernie Sanders in that primary against anybody's. And I never was in a position of saying that people who voted the other way from me that were normal, everyday people were stupid or wrong or whatever. I actually said we need to do a better job to win because that's actually what the job of politics is. Simple.
3: Perfect. I mean, mean, he was just so clear on everything. So uh, the attacks on people were due to an important purpose, Right. Um, and again, like we're seeing the toxicity manifest online right now as we speak. And I, look, I don't know how intentional it is, Francesca. I don't know if the intention is to divide the left. What I do know is that the behavior of the very person who was being talked about in that clip is dividing the left and oh yeah, makes, I mean, that's his bread and butter. That's how he makes his money. And when people get mad at me for calling him a bad faith actor, you can get ahead. Go ahead and get mad. But I had the um, distinct pleasure of working with that guy and understanding that there was no guiding principle, there was no ideology, there was cruelty to others behind the scenes. And honestly, now, just transparent cruelty to people on the scene.
7: <laughs> like, yeah, really? uh, Michael Brooks, who you all likely know, is a host of Majority Report and by his own YouTube show, of course. And of course, one of the all time great friends of Rising died suddenly. His friends and colleagues over at Majority Report tweeted this out, saying in part, It is with a heavy heart that we announce the unexpected passing of Michael Brooks, a son, brother, friend, and true comrade to so many, due to a sudden medical condition. Michael believed in bringing people together in the struggle for love and justice, fighting for all poor and working people, a struggle that he understood to be global. He knew the only way we could do this was by bringing people together. His family will release a statement in the near future about plans to keep his work alive by creating a foundation in his honor, while the format will take is uncertain. Michael's family desires to keep his work alive and asks all who wish to contribute to continue doing so in the usual channels. Now, we will honor Michael by treating all humans with respect and dignity. Now, what can possibly be said about such an untimely and incomprehensible tragedy? If you know Michael's work at all, if you've seen him here on Rising, You know what a remarkable person he was, he was brilliant, funny as hell, but perhaps his most defining trait, and what I saw so many people comment on yesterday, was the way that he truly believed in our shared humanity. In Michael's view of the world, no one was left out of the struggle for justice, for equality, for basic dignity. He felt the struggle in Brazil and everywhere around the world every bit as deeply as he felt the struggle here. Now, it feels kind of astonishing, honestly, for me to say, but I really just got to know Michael over the past year. He's one of the first people who helped us off the ground here at Rising after our mutual friend, Professor Harvey J.K., connected us. He gave Sagar and I endless advice and became not just a friend of the show, but a real and true friend. I'll add my voice to the thousands who have attested to his kind heart, his sincerity, his loyalty, his generosity. And my God, was that man funny. (laughs) I love this picture so much. This was after our show in Brooklyn back in early March. Of course, that's Michael and me and Kyle Kalinske and Sagar. Michael was cracking us up and doubling over with his own joyful, infectious laugh. He absolutely brought the house down that night, especially with his unbelievable Chris Matthews impression. A fan sent me a snippet from the audience that night. It's very irreverent. It's very Michael Brooks. This is him impersonating Chris Matthews' take on the Democratic primary. Let's take a listen.
4: What Tim explained was, you know, you can say, Elizabeth Warren, two in the face, ten in the brain. That picture is 7.5. And I think that that's something that these, you know, these
2: Bernie bros, they're very angry. They're yelling. It's
4: it's the hippies. It's Castro. They understand a woman who's a 7.5. You
2: know, she's a dog, but a dog with a heart. And I think that's what Americans and, you know, particularly
4: broads, like you are
7: ready for. It was unbelievable that (laughs) night. And that was really the last week before everything started to lock down for COVID. And I just assumed that we'd have so many more times like this. I thought I was just at the beginning of my friendship with Michael, that we'd be comrades for a long, long time, collaborating, helping each other, sharing ideas, successes, losses. Whenever I needed some perspective, I'd lean on Michael. He always had the big picture in sight. When everyone was licking their wounds or picking fights with each other after Bernie's loss, Michael was focused on what's next, how to rebuild the labor movement, how to have real solidarity. He'd remind us, using the words of his hero Lula, that those in power can kill one, two, or three roses, but they will never be able to stop the coming of spring. Michael was with us all for far too short of a period, and yet he left so much for all of us. He reminds us to have a generosity of spirit, the courage to tell the truth, and to not take ourselves so goddamn seriously, to laugh, to check in on our friends, and to believe that we can build something better. For me and the rising community, Michael's death is a devastating loss. For the left, it's a profound blow. And it's also a reminder that absolutely nothing, not a single day, is guaranteed Michael's death calls to us all to make the time count, to make it really count. Let's also remember, as he did, that this country is suffering through a historic amount of death and heartbreak and grief and despair. So let's try to cut each other some slack. Let's try to see the best in one another and recommit to our shared humanity. We send our deepest condolences to Michael's family, his friends at Majority Report, and all who knew him and loved him best. Rest in power, Michael Brooks. And Sagar, he really was the best among us.
1: He was a great guy. He really was. And like you said, you know, he really helped us build this uh, build this program in the initial days. He didn't have to do it. Um, and m- many, many didn't. And he was one of those who would reach out, have a helping hand. He came down. That was one of my favorite times when he came down for was it super tuesday i don't mm-hmm. even remember what yeah i think that's right spent the whole night with us here in the studio he was making us laugh and that night in brooklyn i mean he had me you could probably hear me cackling there in the mic Look, we knew he was good it. i didn't know he was that good we I didn't, didn't go know good.
7: he was like comic genius oh, yeah. he, on stage he
1: could have toured this country and done shows just impersonating chris matthews And also, he was one of the smartest guys I've ever met. You know, he would you know these things about Jamaica and the CIA that he was always telling me about. I had this great time on his show when we talked about China for thirty minutes. It's one of the most like best intellectual discussions I've ever had with anyone on the left. And the very and that was the other thing I want to make sure people remember about Michael is just like unbelievable charity, yes, Uh, unbelievable charity and loyalty. And the last video I watched of his was on his show where he actually got into a fight on his own show talking about me and talking about this whole right-wing populism thing and he was somebody who always displayed intellectual curiosity and despite the fact that he got a lot of criticism and even more I watched him just grapple with it and stick to his guns was never somebody who sold out in any respect whatsoever it's like you said I expected him to be around for years I wanted to work with him you know I No really we did I we loved, just, I just I loved talking to him I really did I loved we would get into you know spirited debates and and many other things and make fun of each other. But he was a great guy, and it's just you know, the world is worse off without him.
7: We all learned so much from him because he was so intellectually curious. He was so well read. He knew the history of our country. There wasn't a country in the world that you couldn't ask him. But he wouldn't have deep and detailed and specific knowledge about and an opinion about. By the way, I just can't. I just can't wrap my head around the loss. I mean, it just came out of absolute nowhere, this young, you know, healthy guy as far as anyone knew. And so look, we're going to do our best to to honor what he stood for. I think that commitment to all of our shared humanity, that intellectual curiosity, intellectual fearlessness too. I mean, that's part of why he's not afraid of you because he knows he can tangle with you and do just fine in an ideological <laughs> debate. Um, so we have to bring that spirit to our show every day in his honor. And, um, again, our deepest condolences go out to his closest friends and family and his colleagues there at majority report
8: okay. question. Um, it says on your Twitter that you're Jewish. Am I getting this right?
7: <laughs> no.
8: <laughs> Is it the right Twitter?
4: <laughs> on my Twitter bio it says I'm Jewish.
8: No, but like in your tweets, I just, I don't want to.
4: I yeah, I have Jewish background. Okay.
8: Okay. So, ask someone with a Jewish background. Yes. How do you feel about Bernie's plan for Israel, especially as someone concerned with foreign policy?
4: I love it. It's an absolutely necessary. My Jewish values teach me to oppose apartheid.
8: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Could you elaborate, please?
4: I mean, there there really isn't that much to elaborate on. I mean, it has anybody ever been not only to Israel but also to the? Have you been to? But have you been to the West Bank? Have you been to Gaza? You went to Gaza. Okay, but not to Gaza. Well, you no. I know people have gone to Gaza. You could definitely go to Gaza. Um. So for me, my politics are built on a base of. You know, economic justice and actually really like anti-racism, in some ways as distinct from some of this sort of woke stuff in a way. But when I was, I was already, look, I grew up, you know, I was pretty connected to left politics. So I always knew growing up about the travesty that was the human rights situation. And I knew that people would think, people I admired, like Nelson Mandela said, you know, South Africa is going to not be properly free until the Palestinians are free. In 2006, I believe, I, wrote, I read a piece by a guy named Tony Jutt in the New York Review of Books, who was a really important Jewish scholar. And he just said, like, li- the argument was that, like, literally this is childish. Like, the idea that you have an ethno state or a religious state, if you're committed to any type of broad-based social, economic equity and civil society, it doesn't work. No matter how justified, right? Of course there's justification because of Jewish history for Israel. There's justification for Kurdistan because of Kurdish reality. There's, There's justification for Pakistan. It's notable that Israel and Pakistan are both disasters. Israel not in the sense of, you know, look, if you're a European Jewish background, you have a nice life there. If you're not. You are, even inside 67 borders, not a fully equal citizen. And the situation in the West Bank is, I mean, it is literally Jim Crow-like. And Gaza is, I mean, it's, it's just an atrocity. So that's not something that anybody can reasonably ask me to support. And I understand... You know, yeah, there's some actions from some Palestinian groups that, you know, we can condemn. In fact, those have not even really been in any way seriously in place since like 2003. And when we talk about, you know, look, and the apartheid word specifically is both used by people who were crucial in ending apartheid in South Africa, like Desmond Tutu or Ronnie Casrulls, who served as intelligence minister under um, Becky, who I've interviewed. And the other main people who use the apartheid word are Ehud Omer and Ehud Barak. So it is what it is. And I don't support second-class citizenship and uh, occupation and sieges for anybody, no matter who they are.
8: Are you not concerned about the binary between either condemning Israel entirely um, being like also a stance that a lot of like very strong and notorious anti-Semitic people agree with versus like, you know, seeing this as more of a complex issue where it is wrong what's going on and that there's also a way to do this that Israel still exists and is supported. So or is, So it's not a complex issue.
4: That's the big thing. It's super simple. There's one group that has enormous power. It's the most powerful country in the Middle East. It's backed by the United States it acts on another population of people with total impunity and is never held accountable for anything. So there's no symmetry in the relationship, period. And just as like a thought experiment, IDW people, if we know that if somehow a population of Jewish refugees ended up in West Bank and Gaza and an Arabic government in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv had an open-air prison in what you know Jewish Gaza, which they bombed the white phosphorus, they killed civilians indiscriminately, and they had no uh, provisions for medicine, they had an embargo that blocked food, that the electricity wasn't running, that there was an over 48% unemployment rate, life expectancy and malnutrition statistics were horrifying. The uh, One of the major uh, policymakers in this hypothetical Arabic-Palestinian state said, we need to put those Jews on a diet. In the West Bank, there was another Jewish area where there was a little bit more autonomy, but... There was regular Arabic settlements where they pulled up the Jewish farmers' foods, they terrorized them with rocks, the security forces broke children's bones, and they couldn't drive their own roads. We'd all have no problem understanding what that was. So there's nothing complex about it. The second part of your question, it's it's a pure asymmetry relationship, and the question is rights or not. So that's it. It's not complicated. The second part of your question, at this point, there's always been, there's always going to be crackpots who are anti-Semitic who condemn Israel. That's not what drives the movement, particularly in the United States. you work around most people who are concerned with this issue. It's actually populated with a lot of Jewish people. The real question we have to ask is why is it that APAC is hosting a information minister for Slobodan Milosevic? Why is it that there's relationships between the Israeli government and far-right parties in Europe? Why is it that Benjamin Netanyahu's son is posting borderline alt-right memes? Why is it that Israel is an alt-right state even though it is from the descendants of the victims of one of the greatest crimes in history? That's a serious question. And that's inseparable from the racism of the project, which goes back to the first part that we have to solve. But thank you. Shalom. And I am serious about it coming from Jewish values. Like Tony Judd, my reading, to the extent I do, which I actually do have some connection to that in a religious sense, it's unacceptable for me. But seven two a uh, seven three two area code. Where are you calling from? You there? Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's
5: up? What? Hi. This is Alex from
4: Edison, New Jersey. Hey, Alex.
5: Uh, big fan of
4: the show. Thanks. Um, I would like to
5: debate Israel, but if that's if you
4: don't want to do that, I, I, I'll settle for some attractions. Uh, I mean, what do I, I as if it's really limited, we could do a little Israel debating. But I, I mean,
5: phew.
4: Yeah, me, okay. I would prefer okay. to say, Let or me. I could say that like, mm, it's an apartheid state, sorry. It's just the way it is, and I know all of the technical arguments against it being an apartheid state, but being non-pedantic fool. It is an apartheid state, in some ways even worse. I think we can agree with this. How is your health? How is your mother? <laughs>
5: <laughs> if you are against Israel because you're in a, they're an apartheid state, fine. But then you have to be against every other country... Between Libya and like Malaysia. Well, I
4: love Malaysia. I'm a very big fan of Mohammed Mahathir in Malaysia, obviously. I'm a huge proponent of uh, his dictatorship. Yeah, I mean, no, dude, I I guess I hope he comes back to power in his 90s. You know, I I hear, I, I guess I feel like that line of argumentation with somebody like me just really doesn't fly. I like, there's no other country that you're talking about, certainly not in that loop that anybody like anybody here is a defender of, so that just doesn't work. The only other distinctions I'd say is that it is unique and and the specific, Morocco is in a specific, is in a similar situation in some some ways in the Sahel and Israel in the West Bank and Gaza. That is a very specific, historically unique and indeed South African-like situation. And the third thing that I would say is it's not just the thing that happens in the United States discourse. And there's other people. I, I've called out people who are specifically focused on Israel in a way that at times some, for some people certainly is anti-Semitic. But the reality is in the United States, if I criticize you know, Saudi Arabia, which I actually probably spent more time criticizing than Israel recently, nobody's going to come to me. They might say, well, look. Saudi cooperates with us on certain important intelligence areas, whatever, you know, it might have, um, of realist arguments for Saudi Arabia. No one is going to come to me and say, you have it all wrong. Saudi Arabia is the most moral monarchy in the world. How dare you? You're anti-Arab and all of this bullshit. So when you have a country where literally in front of your face, nonviolent protesters or fuck it, maybe even slightly provocative protesters, but people who are not any way threats to the well-being of soldiers are getting shot point-blank range, Uh, and people are still going to defend that, you have something profoundly wrong and sick going on. So I don't have any specific... Yeah, I don't have a specific brief for Israel. Look, the last thing I'll say is, look, man, I mean, I'm... I believe in democracy. I believe in social delivery for everybody. And I don't like ethno states and I don't like any form of ethnic discrimination. So, how can I be gung ho about Israel? It's impossible. Read Afram Berg. That's kind of my rap. I understand. and I
5: feel like I'm very progressive on this issue. And in the interest of brevity, I'll just leave it at this. Yeah. There is no Palestinian peace plan other than
4: complete capitulation by Israel. That's Tell so me like, you're wrong. Uh, you're wrong in actually several really significant ways. So one is that, first of all, let's make the distinction here. The Palestinians that actually run, like the PA, Palestinian Authority, is not only the only upholders of a two-state 67 process and have given in to Uh, Israel on many, many, many vital policy issues. They're literally like a local Israeli government in the West Bank. So as far as that faction, the governing leadership of Palestinians are the only moderate faction in the whole sort of process and they're security subcontractors for Israel. So that's crazy. Uh, Hamas, first of all, they're very – I mean you can't – it's a complete asymmetry of power. But even Hamas has actually talked about essentially like decades-long ceasefires and, and you know, n- incredibly extended, quote-unquote, temporary agreements, which would enshrine a two-state process, but in fact, you know, liberate Gaza. And, and, and that, of course, doesn't, you know, Hamas has committed great crimes, no doubt about that. We don't need to whitewash anybody, as, of course, is Israel. And then the third faction are people like Marwan Barghouti who are engaged in nonviolent uh, civil disobedience and BDS campaigns because they say, if you're gonna control my life and I'm gonna live under you and I'm gonna you know, follow your laws, you're gonna control my freedom of movement, then I should have the right to vote and have an assembly. And any person in 2018 that doesn't agree with that premise uh, whether they be Palestinian or American or Israeli or Sudanese um, is my political enemy, uh, period. And we're at a point now where the two states has become logistically impossible because Israel's never stopped constructing settlements. And so the real question is now, just as Ehud Olmert said in 2003, it would be apartheid or a one-state democracy. And Ehud Barak has said the same thing. And any person who has progressive politics – has to uh, support that and work towards the security and the well-being and the democratic representation of every single person in that landmass, period. Usually when I go on I-24, uh, we've played it sometimes. In fact, if you haven't looked uh, watched it, you can either go back in the Postgame More Archive or I think we clipped it as Michael Brooks debates a mayo brain.
0: Who came up with
4: that title? Uh, Nation of Islam Obama, <laughs> like literally. Okay. I said that in character, and I was oh, okay. like, "You know what? That works."
3: Gotcha. It's fucking male brain. They've no when I had to shout out Forrest, but
4: gotcha. No, I think that I think, was, Yeah. I think that was literally Nation of Islam Obama, which is basically my deep subconscious, and um, and so, but usually when I go on I twenty four, it's like uh you know michael you're going to be talking about whether or not trump is a criminal and uh you're going to be talking with uh you know jack bickle who's a wave radio operator who really likes trump and the bible and uh you know but this debate on ilan omar i was up against well let me just put it this way i was up against the guy with an accent which is as i point out in the clip a huge disadvantage but um Let's play a couple minutes of it. We'll stop, and everybody can stop with their feet. I know Griscom had some feedback on this, but this is actually legit. Uh, you might learn from this if you're dealing with people who are smearing Ilan Omar.
2: Joining us now is Michael Brooks, host of the Michael Brooks Show and co-host of the Majority Report, and David F. An editor in chief of the Algemeiner. Uh, <laughs> David, uh, this was a victory, you would acknowledge, for progressives and perhaps something of a
5: setback for staunch supporters of Israel. Yeah I think that's absolutely the case. Um but you know problematic in in a number of ways and I think perhaps what it was the first sign of is what uh, Brett Stevens called today the corporatization of the Democratic Party. But this is something that at this point I'm already like
4: fuck you. <laughs>
5: Brett Stevens.
4: Brett Stevens automatic. I I I I honestly
5: was on the border of Brett Stevens in the debate. Okay, the Democratic Party has got to be very careful about where the radical extremes fringes of the party start to move towards the centre and the mainstream, and take control over some of what the party stands for. This is not the historic nature of what the Democratic Party stands for, and I think it's a it's a great shame and tragedy. That somebody like Ilhan Omar, who is an overt anti Semite, can hold uh, the yeah, Democratic wow. Party by the kahunas, as they say. Michael? Well,
4: I just <laughs> want to know, first of all, you're always at a Plus, bit of a disadvantage. Maybe you should rewind it a little bit. Because a- everybody, yeah, he mispronounced it. You, is, but I'm assuming people did people laugh. At, I didn't even realize how dismissive I was at my body language there. It's actually kind of funny. Auntie, by the Kahuna's, as they say. I <laughs> well, I just want to note, first of all, you're always at a bit of a disadvantage when you're up against an accent. So I just want to have that noted in the playing field. Noted. But uh, let's let's be it's real here. I, I mean, there was one group that wasn't included in that resolution, and that was uh, the Palestinians as a people, where regular racism and dehumanization towards them is entirely accepted. The reality is, is that Elon Omar is correct on the merits, she's correct on the policy, saying that she said this comment about dual allegiance is a great leap to begin with. And I have to say, I find it extraordinary that people on the right who sometimes accurately, by the way, not always, but sometimes accurately, say people on the left, you know, jump to accusations too quickly of various bigotries and read into things. They've been reading into every single thing that the congresswoman has said from the beginning, most of which are substantive critiques of a sovereign nation state that happens to administer a horrific regime that violates people's rights on a daily basis in Gaza, the West Bank, and even inside Israel. In some respects, the new indictment about Netanyahu isn't just garden variety corruption. It involves actually undermining democracy. So I support Ilan Omar. I don't buy, and and I also, in fact, support uh, Corbyn. In fact, and the reality is, is that these things are going to become debated on the merits, and we're not going to have a false equivalency. And actually, drag down the profoundly serious issue of anti-Semitism by equating it with all criticism of a sovereign nation state that administers apartheid in reality. Look, I, I right, think this is. is I
5: it. forgot to say, as
4: a Jew. So that's true, but I'm tired of playing that game. Like I really no, I know you are, but I mean, like I do have a I do have a critique of identity politics, frankly, and I do think that part of my real allergy does go back to conversations about Israel where just identity and standpoint epistemology superseded everything else and we can all walk and chew gum at the same time if you're not indulging in anti-semitism and it's pretty obvious when people are frankly uh, you should be able to have an opinion and a robust critique of Israel Uh, and, and you know this actually, and in my mind, it applies to plenty of other categories, right? Like no one is going to say, like, "Oh, you're anti-Muslim if you can, you know, can, uh, critique the record of Saudi Arabia or the Iranian government." It's ridiculous. Right. Now you can tell here he's a little bit thrown because I think he's very much used to debating a kind of typical Democrat who would say, like, "Well, this is a complicated issue," um, and. He's thrown, you know, and I joke about the accent, but there's a lot of like fake authority in that accent. And he speaks very confidently and he's super articulate. But watch
5: how not necessarily calm he stays after I say all that almost, it's quite astounding to hear somebody sit here and speak like this. I mean, Speaking you know, a, you mean? A, a recent poll <laughs> that only 24% of British people do not consider Corbyn to be an anti-Semite. Well, you so, guys so have done well it Let's focus
4: on Omar. You've done it. a great Let's focus You're not going to do this to Congresswoman Omar. Focus on her. Let's do that. Let me try to do that. Let's try
2: to do this and let me set this up. Let's focus on Omar. Because this is important. This is important. And one of the issues of it that she has, she has argued is, and look, we can agree that maybe she was sloppy, maybe she got too close to an anti-Semitic trope, but as far as the actual policy is concerned, you mentioned a minute ago that the Democrats are engaged in something radical. Is it it radical to
5: criticize the Netanyahu government in Israel? For the settlement policy in the West Bank. Let, let, let's be clear about something. okay? And this is what's incredibly disingenuous about what you've just heard here. That is absolutely not what she is being accused of by people on the right and by members of her own party, the leadership of her own party. She is somebody who has accused Israel of hypnotizing the world, has accused supporters, has accused supporters. Excuse on. me, I let you speak. Right, me. Let me finish, please. <laughs> sure. Excuse me.
6: She, she, has, she
5: has she has she has accused supporters of the Jewish state of being motivated by money, and she has every accused, lobby plays she has a role accused in the, the, the largest, That's reality. The largest pro-Israel Jewish organization right. the resolution
2: condemning her for to that. But again to, my wait, question, wait, wait. again to my question, is it radical to criticize the Netanyahu government for their settlement policy in the West Bank?
5: That's not what this discussion is That's about. Is it radical? Is it's not, this it's discussion not radical. is about the role of lobbyists. That is not Laden's what Amin this discussion, is, on. On. This what discussion is about. Being the of That's not what she's being this discussion before. is about. The power of lobbying. Not what she's criticized before.
4: Money and politics. The discussion is about foreign policy. in The East. Also, Ilhan Omar has been a robust critique critic of Saudi Arabia. She said people should boycott the Hajj because of Saudi Arabia's conduct. The reality is, is that the old stagnant frames of both the sort of Saudi and Israeli consensus is being undermined and disrupted. And critiqued in a robust way, which is oriented on global standard. human rights standards and not, in fact, ethnocentric identity politics, which is a problem wherever that, it manifests. So and the smearing of her, right. the lies, right. about, her, the right. lies right. about her, the disgusting right. grotesque totally... display against her yeah, you just saw of... is only going to strengthen people's commitment. You... I didn't realize I did this, but it's visually kind of funny. Just go back just like a few seconds. I'm I, Well, this is another thing, too, is don't worry about looking polite. Uh, you know, I mean... I think you got to hold your tone and have a certain niceness about you. But, like, look, he's saying bullshit. Interrupt ethnocentric identity politics, which is a problem wherever it manifests. And the smearing of her, the lies about her, the disgusting, grotesque display
2: against her (laughs) you just saw is only (laughs) going to strengthen people's commitment. But can you understand why a lot of people who support Israel, they may criticize the Netanyahu government, feel that Israel constantly gets singled out by people on the democratic left in a way that is unfair compared to the rest of the world. So in terms of reality, let's break this down. Number one, there is First
4: of all, if Israel wants to be held to a higher standard than a place like Saudi Arabia, it's going to be held to a higher standard. When people say, well, why don't you complain about the Saudis? First of all, everybody does, and the Saudis at least don't have any pretensions that they're anything other than a brutal theocracy and monarchy. The Israelis have maintained a position of being the only democracy in the Middle East while they have maintained an occupation of another group of people for over 40 years and regularly killed and bombed civilians. And the second standard is is that look again in terms of reality Israel has not only serious and profound and systemic problems, which even poses a threat in some respects to our security, but like Egypt, we happen to fund them greatly. And so therefore, it is a different relationship. But you will find that those who criticize Israel in good faith Uh, As many Jewish activists do, of course, are going to be actually the same people, as you see with Omar, who are questioning the relationship with the Gulf monarchies and other areas of dysfunction in Middle East policy that will never be wrong, no matter how many lies and smears people throw at her.
5: You know, we can have a long discussion about Middle East policy, but what you this is where he's lost it. This is where he's lost
4: it. And I'm not. And again, I'm really just like, I'll try to find one where I fucked up because this isn't like it's fun, whatever. But this is it. If you're in this engagement with somebody and somebody else is watching, the constant goalpost shifting and he's still trying to use that tone of like, I've got this under control here, but he's done. How many lies and smears people throw at her?
5: You know, we can have a long discussion about Middle East policy, but what you have seen tonight is is disingenuity at the highest level. I agree. This is not what this <laughs> is about. This is not what this <laughs> is about. English policy. System. Please don't interrupt. I let you speak. I let you speak. Please don't interrupt. (laughs) And focus on policy. Please don't interrupt. Focus on policy. This is about a person who has come into United States Congress and repeated as a repeat offender, bigoted tropes against the Jewish community. She's been called out from it across the board, from within the Jewish community, from within her own party. And the the the,
2: concern is people who agree with you. And look, there are plenty of people who do agree with you and may say that you know what she did was unconscionable, but By playing it out the way it did, by hitting back so hard at Ilhan Omar, it doesn't seem like any sort of threat to Israel or people who support Israel, the Israeli right has essentially lifted her stature. She has more power now than she did. Well, but also, but again, let's be clear. This is not most about the Israeli right. Right.
5: The criticism here is coming from across the political spectrum, and it's a very specific criticism. This is not criticism about discussion of Israel. It's criticism about repeating anti-Semitic tropes. And, it's that's, a, the and, 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 and it's that's the charge of dual loyalty. And that's the charge of being influenced accept, by do Which we don't money. accept that premise. Right. And that's and the charge of Israel hypnotizing the world. And every single These are the person. Of tropes that you saw every Nazi single propaganda. person
4: is ex- is inf- This was definitely rude, but I saw the one-minute warning, and I never leave these things without getting the last word. Well, every single the and every these are the person, kind of tropes that you saw every Nazi single propaganda. person is ex- is influenced by money from every single lobby. There's no magical anything. exemption with
2: APAC, and she's right. Michael Brooks, David Epstein, <laughs> F- good to have you both on terrific discussion. We appreciate. It. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was pretty fun.
4: That was like a buildup of years of arguments I've had over dinner tables about this, <laughs> finally getting personified in one. What is that? Is that? Do you think it was Australian or South African? I don't know. Uh, it you know it helped that Schuster was fair.
5: Yeah, I was impressed.
0: Yes, you you did a good job keeping him focused though. Like particularly when you you uh, took almost the role of the moderator of going after him, being being like, don't make this about Corbyn. Stay on you know Omar was suddenly you as a guest were helping the interviewer, moderator person
4: keep it on focus, and he suddenly then reinforced your point a few times. Like, that is smart. <laughs> right. Well, that's the because that's the play. They're going to, like, uh-huh. bring all this other bullshit in. And then, but even there, again, like, the the painful thing about cable TV is like obviously there's a much more interesting broader conversation you have about Corbin but like the main takeaway in that is like no, I'm not leaving my boy hanging. So I've got to also say while I'm not going to get distracted by that, mm-hmm. I still back him.
1: Well it also make, makes him make a decision like is he going to
4: follow up on the Corbin comment? Or... Well you notice what he did is he said twenty three only 23% of Britons uh, think he's not an anti-Semite and I said right because you did a great job smearing him and we're not going to allow that to happen again and then as Ben Burgess who told me after he watched the debate he said a poll number is not an argument (laughs) (laughs) classical Burgess you've just watched a Michael Brooks show video and you can watch all of our full main live shows every Tuesday night at around 7pm eastern time And subscribe to get all of the clips you want. We're covering the globe. We're focusing on international relations, the intellectual dark web. We're having fun. We're doing deep dives with a lot of amazing guests. Of course, become a patron for the whole thing at patreon.com slash TMBS. Or subscribe to this YouTube channel and help us keep growing and get that content out there. Subscribe below.
0: So I know that I could keep going on playing uh, Michael Brooks clip after Michael Brooks clip clip. Um, I'm going to link to all of the stuff that I have played in the show notes and you can support uh, the Michael Brooks show still at the Michael Brooks uh, show Legacy Project I'll link to that in the show notes as well and uh, thank you for tuning in to This episode where we did our best To remember uh, The late Michael Brooks And I'll see you all On the next episode Of the Daryl McLean Show show is fully listener supported independent media that won't lead you to tribalism get a membership at www.patreon.com the McLean show